looking in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 for our scripture reading tonight. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. We're talking about true discipleship. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 verse 5. For our gospel came not unto you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Ghost and in much assurance. As you know what manner of men we were among you for your sake. You became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Ghost. Here in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, the Apostle Paul gives us an inspired depiction of discipleship. Discipleship certainly should be something on all of our minds and hearts, but most especially when we think about its church connection, because after all, in Matthew chapter 28, verse 19 and 20, uh, Jesus commanded us, commissioned us, to go into all the world and make disciples. Disciples, followers, followers of Jesus Christ. Now, obviously, from the Great Commission, we know that that involves or includes uh, the born-again experience. Nobody can be a follower of Jesus Christ without being a child of the King. And that means believing on the Lord Jesus Christ so that we can be saved. Following in him, him in baptism. And then being taught all things that Jesus has taught us. Uh, that's especially where the church comes in because the church was called a pillar and ground of the truth. It's one of the reasons why that we do so much teaching and so much preaching is because we are endeavoring to teach all the things that Jesus Christ has taught us. That's a tall order. But it is ours. We take that job very seriously and rightly so. But it's not just about learning the things that Jesus taught us, but also doing the things that he taught us, discipleship. Now, Paul's ministry in Thessalonica was not a long one. Uh, he was there for three Sabbath days, a little over three weeks, maybe a month. Many people were saved and baptized. Uh, those people uh, obviously had formed themselves into a church. And it was at that point that Paul uh, encountered opposition in Thessalonica and ended up having to leave town. Was actually almost ran out of town. Uh, you see, a, a ministry doesn't have to be long to be effective, and it doesn't even have to be popular to be effective. Uh, he was there for a short time, but long enough so that people were saved and baptized and brought together in a church. And now he's writing back to them. Obviously, he sent others who have been there and worked with them and in his absence, but there were so many things that he needed to teach them. Already, there were questions that they were dealing with. They didn't know how to deal with. They were troubled uh, over the whole idea of the second coming of Christ. Their persecution, the opposition that they were facing led them to think that maybe it was time for Jesus to come. Some were even thinking maybe he had already arrived and they'd missed it. I, I mean, it, they were just confused. And so he wrote a lot of things to them. This, by the way, was uh, one of the earliest letters in the New Testament, certainly uh, the earliest letter that Paul the Apostle wrote. And uh, so seeing this truth tonight and understanding what this uh, great warrior of Christ was going to write back to this young church and as he's commending them, he says something in verse 7. He says, you became a model to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. In verse 5, he said, our gospel did not come to you in word only, but with power and with the Holy Spirit and with much conviction. Any teacher in any capacity 
knows what it's like to teach in word only. Uh, that is when you're saying something, but your crowd is not getting it. <laughs> and that happens. It happens to preachers. It happens to Sunday school teachers. It happens to teachers in public school where you're teaching, but maybe people are hearing it, but they're not hearing it. They're not getting it. They, they, it comes to them on some level, but it's not really something that they're comprehending. We would all be that way with the truth of God if it weren't for the mighty work of the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit gets involved. As the Word of God is preached, the Holy Spirit blesses it and uses it. He takes it and enlightens our hearts and minds so that we can understand the things then that are clearly taught to us of God. Without the work of the Holy Spirit, uh, we would all be clueless about spiritual things. And I know that because of what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 16. When he said that the role of the Holy Spirit would be to uh, bring to our minds the things that we are taught. To help us to convict or convince men of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. All throughout the scripture his work is magnified. And Paul certainly does that here. It came not to you in word only but with power and with the Holy Spirit and with much conviction. Now because of this. Because of the power of the word that was already working in their lives, they were becoming true disciples. They had experienced not just salvation, but also conversion. Now, there are times when conversion is used in Scripture where it refers to salvation. But there's other times when there's something else involved. Remember, Jesus told Simon Peter, when you are converted, strengthen the brethren. Simon Peter was going to go through an experience, a time in his life where he was going to experience a change. And that change then was going to bring the power of God to work in his life so much so that he was not only going to experience that strength himself, but he was going to share that strength with others. After you're converted, uh, strengthen the brethren. And so as these people were being changed, converted, by the power of the word of God, uh, they were experiencing the power of the gospel, not to save them, but that continuing power of the gospel that keeps us saved and that changes us, helps us to grow, moves us forward in our spiritual life. Have you ever wondered why that preachers preach the gospel even though they know that most of the people they're preaching to is already saved? is because the gospel's not through with you, folk. The gospel's still working on you. Still working on you. No, you can't get more saved. That's true. But the gospel, just knowing what Jesus Christ has done for us, just being reminded of the incredible power of the gospel of Jesus Christ, His death, His burial, His resurrection, it comes to us again and again and again and again. And every time it does, it is changing us, moving us forward. I have to admit that there's been times I've wondered why that people come to church. If, if, they, if they don't listen, if, if they don't serve, if, if they don't enjoy anything that's going on, and if they don't really see what God is doing, you have to wonder, why they're here. Maybe it's a sense of obligation. And if so, that's a good obligation. I would certainly rather see people come than stay at home. 
but from time to time, maybe we all need to ask ourselves, what am I getting? Am I, am I getting still getting what God intends for me to get? Am I still experiencing what he intends for me to experience? Am I still rejoicing in his presence? Do I actually feel his power? Do I see him working all around us? Some people, the gospel may be interesting, and the church may be interesting. They like music. They enjoy having their hearts stimulated or their minds touched. But is that all that it is? is by the time then we walk out the doors, is it gone? <laughs> I've often said that if the day of Pentecost happened in the average church today, it would die somewhere between the church and Kentucky Fried Chicken. <laughs> because by the time we get to the restaurant, it seems like everything God's done is gone. Maybe it's not gone. Maybe it just seems that way. But there's more to this than just coming to church, hearing a message, enjoying it. Yes, some don't even do that. But if we're still doing that, amen. But what about that conversion thing? What about that change, that true discipleship? Well, here in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, he's talking to some people who had, who had experienced that. And we're still experiencing that. And he gives to us then some indications of what true discipleship looks like. And of course the first thing is that there's going to be a turning. And that's exactly what we see in verse 9. For they themselves show of us what manner of entering in we had unto you. And how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. You know the word repent means to turn. Literally to turn around. And this is a great example of what repentance is. They had served idols. They had worshipped in idol temples. All the things related to idolatry they had done. All the sins that were so rampant in idolatry. And listen, you want to deal with sin. Idolatry's way of be dealing with sin was to make it their religion. <laughs> now you talk about making it all okay. They made it all okay. Whatever kind of sin you could imagine. They even had a God of war. So they could justify killing one another. In the name of the God of war. And I'm not talking about men who go to war and have declared war. I, I, I mean, you'd think that, could they actually make murder part of their religion? Yes. Violence. Yes, of all kinds. That's the way they dealt with the evil in the hearts of men. They made a God out of it and worshipped it. These people had been in all of that. They had experienced all of that. But oh, what a great statement we find in this passage. You turn to God from idols. You turn to God from idols. So the gospel and, and, and the power of the gospel and the power of the cross of Jesus Christ had called them out of what they were and into what God had intended for them to be. It was not as one person described Christianity when he said we have our Savior and our sins and are comfortable with both. Mm -mm. That wasn't what was happening in, in, in Thessalonica. They turned to God from their idols. Many have used the illustration of a wheel, an old wagon wheel. Just picture that in your mind or a bicycle wheel. If that's a little bit easier for you, it's got a hub in the middle, spokes coming out, the rim on the outside. The rim would uh, illustrate our life, what we are, the totality of our life. 
then the spokes would represent all the facets and interests and loves and loyalties, home, family, job, business, hobbies, religion, finances. If we place then ourselves at the center of that, then an accurate picture unfolds of the selfish, self-centered life. Where here I am at the middle, everything radiates around me, revolves around me, and one of the spokes in my life is my God spoke. It's right there with my job, my career, my family, my hobbies. problem in that is self-evident. It makes God a part of our life. But when we trust in Jesus Christ, you see, He is the one that becomes the center of everything. And all of our interests then plug into Him. All that we do, all that we are, are revolving, radiating around Him, not just around me. So that at the very heart of my life then is Jesus Christ doesn't take much to be a Christian, you see. It takes all of us, all of us to be a Christian. How much of you and me does Jesus want? He wants all that he bought. He wants all that he bought. Can we really then surrender all that we have to him? If we can't surrender it to him, we probably don't need to be doing it. Isn't that what the Bible means when it says whatsoever you eat or drink or whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God? Can we do it and give God glory? Can we praise God while we're doing it? Or have we let something into our life that really doesn't plug in to that center, Jesus Christ? Well, the turning in true disciples is when we turn to God. We've turned away from what we were and we've turned to Him. And that's not just a partial thing, that's a total thing. They turn to God from idols. Then there's working. There's working in true discipleship. Verse 3, remembering without ceasing your work of faith and labor of love and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the sight of God and our Father, knowing, brethren, beloved, your election of God. For our gospel came not unto you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Ghost and in much assurance, as you know what manner of men we were among you for your sake, and you became followers of us and of the Lord, remembering without ceasing your work of faith. Jesus spoke of the evidence of our conversion as fruits, And in the case of our discipleship, there is to be evidence and there is to be proof. Here in this passage, Paul uses three different terms to describe the evidence of what's happening. He talks about our work, our work of faith, our labor of love. You ever wondered where that expression came from? It's right here in the Word of God. Labor of love. Your work of faith, your labor of love, and your endurance, your patience then of hope. Work refers to the effort or the energy expended, time used, something uh, in this case that is born of faith. Hard work, work, labor, 
It's another word just like it. Exhaustive toil. Exhaustive toil. And it is a labor of love that calls us to go the second mile, not just uh, the first. Endurance so that we do not give up when the going gets tough. So it's work. We can put it this way. It's work, number one. It's hard work, number two. Number three. It's work that keeps going. And doesn't just quit then because, man, this is too hard. This is hard. This is hard. Yeah. Yeah, it is. Lots of things in life are more difficult than we expected. In fact, just about anything worthwhile is going to be more difficult. You're going to run into places that, man, I, I didn't realize this. It's going to be tough. What are we working on? What is this work? As he's talk, talking about our work of faith, he's talking about, in essence, the work by which we build our faith. The work by which we follow Jesus Christ. The work of being a disciple. You see, uh, sometimes today it seems like that more and more preachers want to tell us about how easy it is to follow Jesus Christ. Well, I'm not one of those guys. Because I'm going to tell you tonight that following Jesus Christ is work. It's hard work. And it's work that's going to cost you a lot of effort and time over a lifetime. It's going to be easy sometimes to give up. It's work. It's hard work. It's work that requires endurance. But what it does is it helps us then to grow into Christ-likeness. You see, as we are laboring in this task of being a disciple of Jesus Christ, our goal is to be more like Jesus all the time. It is not content with a life just of external changes. Its target is our heart, our attitude, our spirit, our soul that we want to see it grow. I, I love the old hymn where the hymn writer put it this way. I'm pressing on the upward way. New heights I'm gaining every day. Still praying as I onward bound. Lord, plant my feet on higher ground. Sing the chorus, you know it. Lord, lift me up and let me stand By faith on heaven's table land A higher plane than I have found Lord, lead me on to higher ground. Some of you folks have been saved here a long time tonight. I've been saved a long time. Are you as high as you want to get? Let John Denver uh, sing about Rocky Mountain High. He used to. I know about a high that's way better than anything this world offers you. And that's that higher ground that Jesus Christ calls us on to. Every day is another opportunity to experience something with Jesus Christ that we haven't experienced before. Seeing something in his word that we haven't seen before. Having him show us a, a fresh glimpse of his grace and glory. Lord, lead me on to higher ground. That's the work of faith. Being a disciple requires work, hard work. Work that endures and keeps going. 
in their serving in true discipleship. For they themselves show of us what manner of entering in we had unto you, how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. Now where our work in discipleship has to do mainly with our own development as a believer, as a follower in Jesus Christ, that work of faith. So that yes, even though I've been saved, Lord, I want to lead on to higher ground. And that's work, hard work. But now he also talks about service. How that we serve God. You see, God hasn't just called us to be good. But he's called us to be good for something. And, and that's where working and serving uh, in, in God's work and in God's kingdom uh, comes in. There's people to be helped all around us in this community. There are jobs to be performed, burdens to be lifted, minds to be taught, souls to be saved. Around this church, there are kids to be taken care of. There's ministries galore that you can be involved in. Find you one. Find you one. Tell somebody, I'd like to volunteer. We'll find you a spot. Um, Paul calls these people servants. The word he used, though, was slave. They might not look much like much in the eyes of men, but you know they're precious in the eyes of God. There's never seemingly an abundance of servants in the Lord's work. The demand always seems to outdo the supply. There's so much to be done. And so God in discipleship calls us to serve Him. And if we think about it, aren't we glad that Jesus, the Lord of glory, serves us, served us, provided salvation for us? All of that is taught throughout the New Testament. You see, Jesus doesn't just tell us to serve. He served himself. And so when we're following him, then that makes us a servant as well. Then there's witnessing. Verse 7, so that you were examples to all that believe in Macedonia and Achaia. For from you sounded out the word of the Lord, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place. Your faith to God word is spread abroad so that we need not to speak anything. Paul said, I don't have to tell anybody about what's going on in the church at Thessalonica. Everybody knows. Unfortunately, sometimes in various communities, what they know about churches is not always good. Uh, but uh, it's a wonderful thing when a church is doing so well that it seems like everybody's talking about it. That's the kind of church that I want Faith Baptist to be. Doing so well, enjoying God's presence so mightily that when we, it's so easy then to go out and talk about the Lord and talk about what He is doing among us. But witnessing is, is found because the Word of God sounded out. That's the word in Greek, it is trumpeted, trumpeted. Brother Mark could tell us, you know, you just can't uh, keep a trumpet hidden much if they're really uh, cutting loose. Uh, military camp, I don't know if they still play Reveille every morning or not. I can remember when they used to play Reveille at Bog Springs every morning. And uh, uh, I, I particularly enjoyed uh, rolling those kids out of bed. It's, it, it's time. Hey, they kept me up half the night. I figure it's fair. <laughs> you like to stay up? Fine. Get up. It's, uh, we did it. 
that, uh, that trumpet sound is, is, is very much ingrained in our minds and hearts. Uh, they trumpeted out uh, the gospel. And uh, they did it in every place, not only in Thessalonica, but all around them. They were sending out the word. There was an undeniable presence of Jesus Christ at work in them, and it was spreading. Then there's waiting. Verse 10, And to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, which delivered us from the wrath to come. I can summarize this with one simple statement. Uh, their life was lived looking up. Their life was lived looking up. They were waiting for his son from heaven. They recognized then that the scenes of every day are played out on the edge of eternity. The final mark of, of genuine discipleship is that it produces a person who is looking for and longing for the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. The unsaved avoid the presence of God. The carnal Christian finds little pleasure in the possibility of the return of Christ. To many, the end of the world is just a terrifying anomaly, a tragedy-filled abnormality, but for us as the people of God, the return of Jesus Christ is the anchor of our soul. I can't imagine living in this crazy world without knowing that Jesus Christ sits enthroned on high and that his purpose is going to be fulfilled, that he will one day sit on the throne of his father David and he will rule over this world in a time of great peace and prosperity. He's going to give man a time, and he is giving man time, to run his course, to go as far as he can go. And the further and further this world gets from God, the more of a mess it makes of itself. We see that all around us. But I don't say that to discourage you tonight. I don't. Because in the darkness, in the dysfunction, in all of the discouraging things, all of the depression, all the disjointed uh, factors and figures, uh, all the things that seem like it's just out of control in the midst of it all. The Bible's still true. Holy Spirit's still working. God is still God. Jesus Christ is still saving. The gospel is still working. And you and I, as God's people, have the same chance that the church at Thessalonica had. True discipleship. Put on display for us tonight. Because this is what we want to be, as a follower of Jesus Christ. And as a follower of Jesus Christ, we will want to make more followers of Jesus Christ. And God can use us to do that. He's been following that plan for a long, long time. It's still true today. Let's stand together, please.